0: that you were able every night to dream any dream you wanted to dream.
1: And you would naturally, as you began on this adventure of dreams, you would fulfill all your wishes. You would have
0: every kind of pleasure.
2: And after several nights, you would say, well, it's pretty big. But now let's, um, let's have a surprise. Let's have a dream which is not thunderous Well, something is going to happen to me that I don't know what it's going to be. Then you would get more and more adventurous, and you would make further and further out gambles as to what you would dream. And finally, you would dream where you are now. Hello everybody, here we are on a Thursday evening in February. It's February the 8th, February the 8th, on the, I don't know, I don't know what to say. It's going to be a great night, we got a great guest, we have a wonderful topic of conversation. I know that probably quite a few people will have been drawn away to... Listen to the live streaming on one place or another of Tucker Carlson with Vladimir Putin. We're going to have that lined up for you after the show on QuiteFrankly.tv in its entirety, and I'll listen to it with you. I listen to a few minutes up front. Uh, <clears throat> we always know because whenever Vladimir Putin has a major address or anything like that, we go and we grab the transcript, we listen to it, we circumvent the media. And we go and we listen to it for ourselves. So because we do that, we know that he has an incredible grasp on history, especially Russian history. And uh, for the average American Western viewer to who's watching that interview, especially the the opening 20 minutes, their eyes probably glazed over. I mean, he he might as well have been speaking ancient Sumerian at that point, because what the hell do we in the last three generations... (laughs) Of, uh, of of schooling over here. What the hell do we learn that's anything relevant at all? But, you know, in that respect, that is when there's going to be knee-jerk reactions that are built into the average person. And depending on who put those reactions and put those uh, and programmed you, uh, they're going to come out. Oh, I don't care what he says. It's probably all nonsense. Oh, this is pure propaganda. Misunderstanding what propaganda is as well. So there's a lot of that going on. The history uh, aspect of it, I think, is when I watch it in full, I have to imagine it's going to be the most important thing, even though to the average person it's going to be the most boring thing. They're going to want to get around to some kind of I don't know what. I don't know what. Obviously, they're going to speak very frankly about why Ukraine is in the situation it is right now that is going to contradict everything that the mainstream media and the people standing behind them have been reporting on for the last couple of years. And to be honest, ladies and gentlemen, that's really what this is all about. Um, When you see Hillary Clinton and every other asset that they have out there deployed, screaming, crying, outrage, whether they be Neocon, Neolibs, I'm sure Mark Levin, people like him are PMSing bad right now. Just don't get twisted. Don't get anything twisted of what's happening here. The bloody scam in Ukraine is a huge strategic operation to the people who run shit, okay? The seen and the unseen. They have managed within the last couple of years to totally cancel out everything that Vladimir Putin has said, save for a few public clips that have been made and, you know, then expanded on. That's just really what it is. And now with the war at an all-time low in its popularity and people keep wondering why the hell tens of billions of dollars are going to be are continuing to be stolen from us in its name with us as collateral whatever the hell their end game for the region is that is still off in the distance maybe they're not too far distance but their end game strategy for the region is is I don't know we don't know what it is but we know that it's either they bow out and save the world a lot of trouble or they continue to escalate it and a lot of people a lot more people die that's just what it is and then in the meantime that anxiety is gone to people are checking out people there are plenty of people out there who are ready to jump ship on this bullshit and and that's the real reason why so many people have, are freaking out that everybody rushed to get comments from Hillary Clinton and every panel that they can assemble on CNN about Tucker a, a, an American journalist talking to a public figure Is it really a matter of debate? The issue here is that they've been running an operation for two years and playing on the ignorance of the average American, the average Westerner on the origin story of the conflicts that are going on in places like Ukraine is all is 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 super important on everything. And for this two-hour span, for whoever the hell is going to watch it, that window of suppression is going to be smashed open. And God forbid Vladimir Putin might actually sound a little bit more, I don't know, stable than people have said, that he's out of his mind, he's terminally ill, he has 10,000 terminal diseases all at once, he's lo- he's shaking constantly, he's like Hitler at the end of the war. hes lo- They don't want him to sound sound. They don't want him to sound logical or make any cogent points. That's just really what it is. We know that this is a bipartisan thing out there in Ukraine. We know that it's, it's they're all, all of them. They, they use it as a piggy bank. We know that they use it as, a, as another location in the world for unethical biological experiments. And you, you, you name it. So that's really what this is about. And just keep it in mind. Because uh, we can watch it together afterwards. It's about two hours long, a little bit more than that. And uh, it's, it's a lot of uh, dense, localized regional history out there up front. So it's, uh, it's not all fireworks, but I'm sure there's going to be some good stuff in there. All right, so that's all I have to say on that. Just stay tuned, quite quitefrankly.tv at 9 o'clock, and we will have that playing, and we can watch it all together. All right, so tonight we're going to have a great, great guest. Her name is Penny Whitbroad. She's known as Nurse Penny in certain circles. I um I had the 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 honor of listening to this story maybe about a year or two ago. It's definitely over a year, maybe last spring. Um, so she and that was on on dark to light, and it was a great story. And I knew I wanted her to tell this story on quite frankly at some point. So we held it off, and I was going to have her on in in September. It got delayed until today, and um and I, I'm really happy to have her on right now and uh, and after the intro we're going to we're going to bring her in and she had a really in- incredible near death experience. Of course, I would call it a near death revelation. And I have a lot of questions that I had saved up from that time that she was on. Some of them I asked of her over a year ago, so they'll be fresh to all of you tonight one way or another. There'll be time to take calls from you guys and gals too. I hope you can send it. I don't know if we'll, uh, we'll be able to take calls while she's on. I still have not figured that out and I have to find an engineer to Help me bridge the gap between all that, but I'll certainly be taking a look at all the super chat portals. So if you have questions for Nurse Penny during her story, quite frankly superchat.com. You can send something there. You can send questions to uh, in the first half to the rumble rants, you can send them to the gold pills on quite frankly.tv, powered by foxhole and pilled and uh, and i would love to work those in because i already have a couple of great questions saved from a while back so that's what we have tonight we have nurse penny Whitbroat, and uh, we'll be we'll be getting into the spiritual realm one of my favorite things to do because so many unanswered questions so so many and uh, and that's what we have so i'm i'm glad that you guys are joining those of you who who uh, came to hang out with me here tonight. Thank you so much, and you will be rewarded for your loyalty by (laughs) being able to watch the Putin interview afterwards, if you're even interested at all. Uh, Because I'm more inclined, to be honest with you, to just uh, read some clips from the transcripts and uh, and see what other kind of highlights come out. What can he possibly say to this audience that we haven't already picked up on? This is really just about There's craziness out there, like I said before, because they want to be able to to prevent the average normie from hearing these things come from a person that they have been told is absolutely insane, but is now sitting there talking cool, calm and collected. Okay, this is about protecting the fragile mind of the normie. It's probably not going to be so crazy to us or, or, you know, bombshellish to us. So um, either way. It'll be good to see what happens. All right. Um, did you hear one, two? Oh, there's a couple things I want to do. I might have to save a couple of these things for tomorrow. There, uh, crazy Days and Nights. Enti. Enti Lawyer has been outed. Now, I didn't know that Enti was still... You know, you ever you read the Crazy Days and Nights blog? We definitely went used to do a lot of blind items on the show. Enti has uh, given everybody a lot of juicy stuff over the years on crazy days and nights, but I didn't think that he was anonymous. But he's been unmasked by a furious ex-mistress. That's what they say. Furious ex-mistress has unmasked Enti. Now he had the blog. I know he has a podcast. So I just I didn't know that he never he was never um, he was never out there. So that's one thing. That's one thing to say. All right, a couple more. One more, one more. Did you hear about this? There has to be, is this a, uh, no, this is in Canada. Very interesting. In Canada, cops, a dealer handed out Coke samples. In an apparent bid to drum up customers for his drug business, a Canadian man handed out business cards with a small sample of cocaine attached to it, police allege. According to cops, Sayed Amir Razavi, obviously a native Canadian, distributed the cards outside a casino in Calgary, where Razavi resides. Investigators learned of the cards in late December and launched a probe that resulted in February 3rd arrest of Razavi on narcotics possession and trafficking charges. A police search of Razavi's auto and residence yielded 50 baggies of cocaine, a digital scale with drug residue, $1,200 in cash, and cops also seized a box of business cards with the name Alex Lee on it. Now, cocaine is not my bag, and neither is drug dealing, but I got to say that this is a very smart move. It's very smart. To put a little bit of a sample of something on a bat, I, I think that's very smart. It's a dangerous business to be in, and uh, it's probably not going to work out very well in the end. Nobody does it for long, unless, of course, you're working for the CIA or have CIA protection. Same thing. But uh, I think that's very smart to give a little, little sample out and and build up your clientele. So that's what we have on that front. Uh, one more. And I love stories like this. Take a look at this headline from the New York Post. Radio station baffled after a 200-foot radio tower disappears without a trace. A uh, a 200-foot radio tower in Alabama has disappeared. No one's sure how the ambitious bandits made off with the heavy steel structure. WJLX station manager Brett Elmore Told WBRC, I have tried all weekend to figure it out and I just can't, he said. I've been in the radio business around it all my life and then in it professionally for 26 years and I can say I've never heard of anything like this. I can say I've seen it all now. Elmore learned of the theft on Friday when a landscaping crew went to the rural tower site to maintain the property, but there wasn't much left to maintain. When he arrived, he called me Friday and said the tower is gone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is great I said what do you mean the tower is gone Are you sure you're at the right place He said the tower is gone There's wires everywhere and it is gone So here's the uh, the official release I it said it's going to get out eventually So might as well make it public before it does I have heard of thieves in this area stealing anything But this one takes the cake The mor- This morning my bush hog crew Went down a tower site And uh And it it's gone 200 foot tower was gone they dismantled the tower by cutting the wires that secured it and also stole other equipment from the property that is uh now the question is where do you do what do you do with all that stuff what do you do with the materials are you using it for your own radio station i just love stories like this because until we know exactly what happened it could be literally anything it could be an incredibly well-organized prank or it could be a uh, a piece of one of the biggest conspiracies of all time who knows not us but we'll be right back ladies and gents thank you so much for everything and uh and i hope you truly enjoy the rest of the show you tune in at your own enjoyment because it is the best show since the beginning of time it has technological advancements and a more sophisticated approach but like every great awakening that has preceded it it has one iron rule
0: logic is a friend and truth is essential you are now entering Quite frankly. Now take off your pants. And jacket. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's run!
2: the show so you know how it is with me i love chasing these stories about the great unknown especially those that take place after life has concluded or those that take place on the precipice life and death dancing on a knife's edge between worlds that's what i love talking about i really 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 do and we had a great uh conversation about this back in, uh, in in september it was around the time that we had evan alexander on the show and and tonight we are going to be doing a lot of great stuff a lot of great talking with a good friend of ours that i have not seen in a long time so it's going to be good to have her uh chilling with us i gotta see if she can hear me right now one second hold on connecting to the audio Hello, Penny, are you there? Penny? Penny, you hear me? I
0: hear you. You hear me? You.
2: Well, you're you you, you sound like you're a little bit underwater right now. Uh, um, let me turn my oh. sound, my mic up a little
1: bit. Is that better?
2: Oh, that sounds a lot better. It's great to have you on. How's everything been?
1: Um, it's been a little crazy, but it's always a little crazy on my end. So that's nothing unusual.
2: Oh, I got you. I'm giving you a little bit of a a feed. So you'll see me a little bit. We'll be split screen a little bit. Hey, so how's everything been? I know that you were going to be on in in September. Then life took us in different places, but I'm glad to be here tonight. Are you feeling well? How's the family? Go ahead.
1: I'm feeling well. Um, I had a little, uh, bump in the road and got some kidney stones and, Uh A kidney infection and sepsis. So I'm recovering from that. Um, luckily, they were able to finally let me go home on some antibiotics instead of having to be on the IV stuff. So that's good. Oh, man. Um, we've got a new grandbaby on the way. Super exciting. Grandbaby
2: number six. Wonderful. Four. Are you a great grandma yet? How close are you yes. to that? Hey. <laughs> oh, 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 I don't know. I, I know some very young great grandmas, by the way. I know just oh, dear, one. Yeah. yeah. But if you already have six, I don't know how old the oldest one is. The oldest
1: one is 10.
2: Oh, okay. Not, okay. You're not close yet. So
1: they're little yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm my sorry kids to scare
2: was, you. Jeez.
1: Hey, that's all right. I was like, maybe I'm not recovering as well as I thought.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, it's Crap, not like. I
1: could be a great grandmother.
2: <laughs> not like that. It's just when I hear that many grandchildren, I assume somebody started a long time ago, but it, it's all understood now. So. It's all understood. I'm glad you're feeling well, though. And I'm glad you're here tonight. Okay. And, you know, I wasn't
1: going to miss it. I was like, man, that timed out just perfect because I got out of the hospital Monday evening and, and I'm I'm ready. And I, so I was very happy. And, of course, a lot of my, I see a lot of my folks in the chat. <clears throat> They're your folks, too, and Zach's folks.
2: Well, we have we have a lot of a lot of crossover. And I'm very happy to have have heard this story, uh, but actually not all of it, because I remember that day with the, with Tracy, I had to bounce maybe about a half hour before you guys really wrapped up. So tonight, I want to just let you roll with this, and, and I, I gave everybody good pre, uh, a premise for it. Um, you had a, what I would call a near-death revelation, and I want you to set the, the, the table for what happened to you, the situa- the circumstances leading to that, and then along the way, I'll, I'll be very sparing, I'll sparingly stop you to ask questions along the way for clarification, but w- where does the story of Penny Whitbroke begin?
1: Um, as far as the near-death experience I mean I had been living a pretty normal life I was a single mom with three kids I had been divorced since my oldest was five and um was just raising them you know by myself working full-time as a nurse sometimes four twelves a week and and just super super busy with three <clears throat> three kids um, at the time I got sick my oldest was or my my youngest child was still in high school. I think my oldest was graduated by then. And um, I had actually was working at a company called Select and they do like specialized step-down unit nursing care. So somebody who technically would be okay for an ICU, um, but they've, their Medicare is run out or whatever. So they put them in a step-down unit and we try to get them off the ventilator or solve whatever problem is keeping them from being able to go to rehab or go home. And um, we had a patient who was an eye doctor, totally lucid. Um, and we were going to put a deep line in his neck. And so he was in a, the bed was really, really low. And next to the bed was a recliner. And we have these low boy beds for people who keep getting out of the bed so that if they fall, they only fall a couple inches, they mm. don't fall and hurt themselves. So I was between the bed and the chair because our director of nursing had not told us. That he had been physically aggressive to people at the hospital before he moved, and that he had knocked her down on the day of admission. So in our daily safety meetings, it didn't occur to her to mention that. And um, and so I went in there, and had I known that, I would not have gotten between the bed and the chair. I would have not left. I would have made my made sure I had a path to the door. Um, but I didn't know that, and so I was in between the bed and the chair. The doctor came up from interventional radiology with his nurse. They're getting ready to do everything, and I'm walking him through it. And so I'm like, okay, they're going to put this drape on your neck and they're going to clean it. It's going to feel, feel really cold. And I walked him through the whole thing. And then as they were doing it, I was like, okay, that's the drape you're feeling that we talked about just to reassure him. Cause it's kind of scary. Yeah. And, uh, and he just bolted up. Like he just suddenly lost his mind and said, I don't consent to this. And he slung everything everywhere and he punched me in the face and I fell between the bed and the chair. And because both were so low, I couldn't get up. Um, so every time I tried to push up, he was coming over the side of the chair, punching me in
2: the side of the head. Gee, really? This was all, I, I don't remember the, the, uh, an assault, as, uh, aspect I'm of not this. Not told that part. Wow. Cause we tried to go through it quick. Okay. Keep going. I, I, this just, this yeah. just took me completely by surprise. Go ahead.
1: So the doctor didn't know how to undo the recliner. The nurse that was with him, wasn't from our floor, didn't know how to move it. And so finally attack across the hall. Here's all of the noise and comes running across unlocks the chair pulls him off me so all these people saw it I I finished my shift um and when I got up the next day when I went to turn my head to the left my vision went black but I'm like oh that's that's not normal um and so it finally straightened out so I went into work because I'm a nurse and we go into work and uh I went into work and it happened again. And I told them, I said, I need to go to the doctor. Something's, something's wrong with me. So they send me over to occupational health, which is a joke. And, um, and they're like, you know, you've just sprained your shoulder and your wrist. You're okay. We're going to put you on light duty. Send me back to work. So that was in August. By November, um, I was having trouble walking. I was having trouble turning my head and not being able to see all kinds of weird things. And so finally, the orthopedic doctor, so I had torn my rotator cuff and broken my wrist. So they'd said all that. And um, they sent me to a neurosurgeon, and he said, he's completely ruptured C4556. You're going to have to have spinal surgery for that. And so work comp fought me. They're like, oh, it's a pre-existing condition, even though we had MRIs and CT scans from before. And even though the doctor was like, if you look at this MRI and say it's normal, you either don't know what you're talking about, or you're a liar. And I'd never seen a doctor write that before, but they refused the surgery. We ended up having to go through my insurance, got the surgery, and it was a big one. And, um, I was still recovering. So I got hurt in August. I had surgery at the end of November in August. I was still home recovering and was still in the hard neck brace. And and it was looking like I wasn't going to be able to return to my previous duties. And, um, I was standing in the kitchen with my daughter making smoothies and I made these strawberry smoothies and we went out onto the porch and I started feeling weird. And I'm like, wow, what is wrong with me? I feel strangely anxious and like my tongue felt thick or something. It was strange. And I had EpiPens on hand because I had a history of anaphylaxis with shellfish, but I'd never had to use them. And so I had, I don't even think they were in date, you know, as far as not being expired. But it kept getting worse. I noticed I was drooling and I'm like, okay, I'm having trouble swallowing. And and I'm like, this is, I'm having an anaphylactic reaction. What on earth? And so I gave myself my first shot and my youngest son drove me to the hospital and I got there and the nurse was standing at the counter and it was a nurse I knew in this little hospital. And I thought, oh, geez, this isn't going to be good. And so I put the, the EpiPens come in two packs. And so I set the pack on the counter so she could see one was gone because I was having a hard time talking. And, um, and I was looking up like this talking because I could hardly breathe. And so she's like, what are you here for? And I managed to get out anaphylaxis. And she's like, well, did you take the EpiPen? And I nodded. And she's like, then why are you here? And I'm like, it's not helping. You know, I can't breathe. And so she, she's like, well, we've got a room, but we don't have a bed. Um, so I can't put you in there yet. I'm going to put you in a wheelchair. Um, And then as soon as we get a bed in there, we'll come get you. And I'm saying, I don't need a bed. I don't need a bed help, you know, and, and she's not helping. So she takes me in, in that ER, in that hospital. I know it well, because I helped them set up when they expanded their ICU. I came from a bigger hospital and helped them expand their ICU. So she puts me down this hall where the doctor's sleeping quarters and the staff bathroom is. So nobody goes down that hall very rarely for anything, so she puts me down this hall where nobody can see me, nobody can hear me, and I'm having a harder time. It's it's getting more and more laborious to breathe, and I'm getting really scared, and I'm trying to call out for help, but I don't have enough of a voice. Um, and all of these intubations have affected my voice, of course, but um, <clears throat> so... I decided that I was going to have to go ahead and take my second happy pen. And I was nervous about that because nurses really frown on you taking any of your own meds at the hospital, but I couldn't, I couldn't get anybody to come help me. And I'm like, I can't just sit in this chair and die. And so I took the second shot. Well, Penny, was, l- l- let
2: me ask you, did, did did you feel any marked improvement in any symptoms after the first pen?
1: I did. It gave me like time. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I still was having symptoms, but I was still wheezing and everything, but I didn't feel totally closed up. And so I took the second one, started feeling a little bit better. And I'm like, okay, maybe it was just going to take that second shot. And within 15 minutes or so, I had strider, which is when the airway starts to swell, um, it makes this whist- high pitched whistling noise. And you it, you know a patient's in trouble when you hear it. And it doesn't sound like anything else. And I'm like, oh crap. And this. A nurse practitioner, PA, heard me and looked around the corner and said, oh, my God. And so she came running over and grabbed the wheelchair, took it into the room where there was a bed.
0: (laughs) like, at
1: least least we got the bed. That was important. And um, of course, they can't get an IV on me. I'm a horrible stick. And once you're in anaphylaxis, your blood pressure drops. So it's even harder to get an IV. And they can't get anything. They're giving me intramuscular injections of steroids and epinephrine, um, Benadryl. And the, the PA finally looks at me and she says, we got to move you across to trauma. And I thought, oh, crap, I'm going to end up getting intubated. And so they wheel me across to trauma. My husband gets there. We weren't married yet at the time. And um, he gets there and he takes one look at me and he tells the doctor, he's like, you need to intubate her. You're going to lose her airway. And he, they're like, no, no, we got plenty of time. She's fine. And... Within five minutes, I had completely stopped breathing and collapsed. Mm. And so I remember it. I remember him standing there to the right of me next to the bed. I remember hitting the back because I had him sit the bed all the way up because I was having so much trouble breathing and I was looking up to breathe. And I remember just feeling really relaxed and just letting go. And when I did, I popped out of my body and I heard the code call. And I thought, oh, wow, somebody's really sick. I hope they do okay. And I look down and all these people start running in the room where my body is in the bed, but I didn't recognize me. And so I see me laying there and I think, and I'm hearing the code call go off and I'm thinking, wow, I hope she does okay. And the respiratory therapist that came in had a bald spot on the crown of his head. And I wouldn't have known that because I didn't know him. I hadn't worked there in a while. and um, But it was just interesting that I was able to see these things that you wouldn't have been able to see from the bed. And so I see me in the bed, um, and I see him, and I saw my husband kind of get shoved out as people were filing in really quickly, and that was it. Everything went black. And then the next thing I knew, I was in my sister's car. She lives in Wisconsin. We're in Kentucky. And it's late at night. It's pouring rain, um, and she's driving, and I'm thinking, where is she going in this weather? This is crazy. And so I look over the seat and her clothes are all wrinkled and they don't match. And I'm thinking, okay, something's happened. Something's happened to the kids or her husband. There's no other reason she'd be out looking like that this late. And so she pulls over under the canopy of a gas station and she types in a message, hang on kiddo, I'm coming, which was actually a message she typed to my daughter in Facebook Messenger, which it was the first thing I told her when I woke up was that I saw what she wrote. Um, And so I decide not to say anything to her try to touch her anything because she's driving and I don't want to scare her. and I knew something was wrong with me I'm like I can't feel like the the density of my body I I can't feel the seat against my butt or my legs or my back and it felt like I was just floating in the back seat and so I I black out again and when I come to I'm in this really dark void and it's I have no idea how big it is it's completely black but i have this image of what i look like there and i don't know if it's that i could see me or if i just imagined me but i'm suspended in in the air i'm not standing Mm. sitting or lying on anything and it's crazy black like you can't see anything Um, and i wondered you know is it a closet is it a walmart how big is this place it's so dark i can't tell and i'm noticing it's taking a lot of work to breathe And I get super tired because I'm worn out from trying to breathe and I go back to sleep and then I wake up and I'm still in this place. And so I'm thinking, okay, I need to, I got to get out of here. Like, where am I? And I'm trying to move. I can't move. And I feel this pressure holding me and I'm really claustrophobic. And so that totally freaked me out, went into this panic and then went back into the deep sleep again. And so I keep doing this where I wake up, get freaked out. I ask God, you know, Where is God? Why am I here? Is this hell? I knew it wasn't hell, Um, but I didn't know where I was, and I knew it was something I had to figure out, and and I was really frustrated. I'm like, there's no instruction manual. I don't know how you're supposed to figure out what you're supposed to do here. How do I move? And so eventually, I figured out that if I tipped my whole body forward like that and didn't bend at the waist, um, whatever direction I tipped my body in, I would move that direction. And so when I first did it and started going forward, I got scared because I couldn't see anything. And I didn't know what was around me, if I was going to hit anything. Mm. And so I see this light way, way, way off on the left. And it's not like a tunnel. It's like, it's like when you're driving down the street and you can see from somebody's house window five, five houses up that their living room lights on. That's kind of what it looked like. And so I'm thinking, okay, yes, go go to that light. Um, at least you'll be able to see and so I tip my body that way and I fly that direction and I'm praying there's no trees because I'm going, the more horizontal I got, the faster I went. And I'm like, man, it'd suck to get plowed by a tree, you know, <laughs> after making
2: it this far. So, so but let me, let me just stop you right there because now you're talking about setting like real world earthly settings trees living room lights are, are is, is this consciousness uh, you're not and you also said that when you first popped out of your body you did there's no recognizing yourself do you mm-hmm. think that um because i've I've spoken to plenty of i've had a couple of really amazing guests that come on to talk about specifically about uh, obe's and what they would tell me about the out-of-body experiences is that when they when they um, initiate these experiences for themselves at night, they um, they feel that there is an immediately a stripping or a shedding of at least a few top layers of human identity. Especially when it comes comes to care, uh, the 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 care that we have about human dramas and human things, the things that we that we obsess over every day when we're awake, those things start to shed almost immediately. Yeah. Now, is that more so along the lines of why you feel like you did not recognize yourself, or is it because your human body in that state looked so haggard that it didn't actually look like you? What, what do you think that was?
1: I think had I recognized it as me, it would have really scared me. And I think near-death experiences are um, designed by God for each person who has them. So, you know, no two are the same, but but most have common elements. Okay. And I think for me, it really would have freaked me out and I would have gotten stuck in that state of worrying about that separation from my body.
2: And now in this blackness, as you're learning how to move, uh, just, just take us from there. You found a light that you want to go investigate and here you are.
1: Yeah. So I'm investigating this light. I get to it and it looks like, I always tell people when I was a kid, hotels had these really heavy, it almost looked like leaded glass blocks. And they would put them up um, on two sides of a shower so that you could see somebody was in there. You'd still have light, but you couldn't make out their features. And that's kind of what the wall looked like that was separating where I was from this other place. And so I look at the wall and I can't really see anything except for that there's light coming from the other side. And so I get closer and closer and closer to it. And when, I, when my nose touched the glass, it was so funny. It was a very little girl moment. Um, my nose touched the glass and I had my hands on it. And as soon as my nose touched it, I could see through and it was a hospital room with me laying in the bed and I recognized me
0: Mm. and I
1: thought, oh, okay, something's happened. I've had an accident or I'm really sick or something. I I don't know what all this is, where I'm at, but that must mean I can get back there somehow. And so I'm trying to think of how to get back there. Um, And I, of course, you know, can't, can't get through the wall and, and my daughter is there, and so she's wearing a red flannel shirt, and it's August, and she's standing, the ventilator is to my right and behind me, and she's standing in front of it, which is still behind me. And, and I remember looking at her shirt, and I could see every single fiber in it, and I knew what it felt like just to, t- just to see it, and the colors were coming off in a strange way, like you don't, they were way more vivid, and my daughter, I always tell people this. My daughter's a Scorpio, and you just never know what's going on with her. And um, a good kid, but just very, very private. And um, I felt her emotions, and I knew they were hers. And she was terrified and very sad. And I just, it just killed me because I'd always wanted to know what she felt inside, and she never would tell me because mm-hmm. she's very private. She doesn't tell anyone. And um, and here, this first moment where I know her emotions. I go to put my hands out to her to bring her to me to hold her cuz she's scared and my hands hit the wall and and I can't get through the wall. And so I lose it. I'm ugly crying and um you know yelling at God and I'm like what is this? Is this is this what you do? This is some kind of torture. You show me, you show me myself, you show me my daughter on the other side and then you put a, a wall between us so I can't I can't get to them and I'm getting more and more worked up and the more angry and rageful that I get, the farther back I get pulled back to where I was when I started and I go back to sleep. And so when I wake up, I'm like, okay, don't lose it this time. Put my body around, go back to the light. And this time the wall, instead of being like a wall is like a bubble. And I can see it moving. Like you would see a bubble move if air pressed against it. And so I'm thinking, Oh, wow, that's, I could probably go through that. And, um, So I put my hand out and it goes through and I see my hand on the other side and I'm like, okay, what do do I just go all the way through? Just pop in. That's what I do. I just pop in. So I put the other hand through and I just followed it through and I was in the room. So I'm up in this corner of the room and I can see what's going on. Um, I'm in the bed there. There's no one in the room with me. I looked at the IV pump and I'm like, okay, I'm on propofol. You know, I was looking at all the different drugs I was on. And I'm like, okay, I'm in an induced coma. Um, my vital signs are stable, so I'm like, okay, I'm I'm stable but critical. I I'm guessing I can survive this. I see that my hands are tied to the bed, which freaks me out because I'm claustrophobic. And so I'm thinking, okay, how do I, how do I wake me up? And I didn't know how, so I I thought maybe I just lower myself like a sponge, or like lower myself to my body, and like a sponge, I'll get soaked back up. So I try that, and I come down flat with my face up on my body and nothing happens. I don't get sucked back up. And I'm like, crap, that seemed like a real winner of an idea. That's that didn't work at all. Um, (laughs) So then I'm thinking I need to try to make me move. I think if I could move, then I would wake up and then I'd get sucked back in, which seems perfectly reasonable even now to me. And so I try to move my hand. I can't do it. I get mad and I'm trying not to lose my temper. Um, And well, first I try to open my eyes. That's not happening. Then I'm like, try moving your hand. That doesn't work. Then I'm like, move just one finger. Come on, just one finger. Damn it, move one finger. And I, and I can't do it. And I get sucked back, but just to the other side of the wall, not all the way back. And I'm standing there and I'm, I know there's something I have to figure out. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, what is it? What? I don't understand what I'm supposed to figure out, but I knew if I could figure that thing out, I would be free. And, and I'm like, this place is so awful. And I just hear it in my head, you built this place. And I, I knew it to be true as soon as I thought it. And as soon as I thought it and knew it to be true, there was a crack at the top. It was like I was in an egg. There's a crack at the top of what would look like you'd crack the top of an egg. And then light starts pouring in this crack. And I become more sure, yes, it's, I built that dark place. I isolated myself all those years. I built that place. And the more I realize it, the more it cracks apart. And so this huge spirit comes through. She's probably 10 foot tall. Um, She's big, but not just big in size, big like grand, like majestic, you know. And so she comes to me, and I'm so happy to see her. I was so happy to see another person, and she's very familiar. And she puts her arms out like this, and I'm pulled into her arm. She didn't touch me. And then she puts one arm around me. And all these shards from the darkness are like broken glass, and they're trying to get in at me. And so she would put out her fist, and she would punch them, and they would shatter into a thousand pieces and be gone. And so she does this until all the shards are gone, and, and I'm now ugly crying in her arms. And and she says telepathically to me, calm yourself, dear one. And it was like, if you've ever been put to sleep for a surgery or something like that, you can't, you can't not react to the drugs they push in you you're out yeah and that's what it was like and i was just immediately calmed like super super relaxed
2: mm. almost um, like the going, letting the letting go when you said you felt a little bit relaxed and you let go once you left popped out of your body this was a a, a second round of that but in a, in a different place
1: yeah and my my energy felt different it didn't feel thick and cold and um my energy felt bright and happy and um, like who I remembered being when I was little. And, and I'm just was thinking about all the things that had weighed me down, you know? And so I'm there with her and, and I'm looking at her. And so I look up at her face and she's got these brilliant green, blue eyes and they're just gorgeous. And I look up at her hair and it's red, like fire, and it's moving like fire on her head. And as soon as I see her hair, I know who she is. It's my grandma Patrius, my mom's mom. And, um, I always tell people she was a real character. She worked at a steel stamping plant in um, Michigan when I was a kid. And it was like a hundred and some degrees in there. It was terrible hard work for anybody, but especially for women. And they had no union or anything. And one of her friends got her arm caught in a steel stamping press. And so the employer fired her because she couldn't work anymore. And it just enraged my grandmother. And she told my dad, she said, I'm going to start a union. And he's like, Lafita, They'll kill you. Don't don't get involved in that. She's like, I'm doing it. You know, they can't just do this to people. And they think just because we're women, we shouldn't have the same rights as men. And I remember all this. I mean, I'm like four years old. and um, And so she set out to do this. And so one night she didn't come home and she didn't come home and she didn't come home. And I was very fretful. And I kept going into my mom and saying, Grandma's not home yet. You know, it's getting dark. Where is she? And finally, this black, long black car pulls up not quite a limousine, but a long black car and the back door opens up and she gets shoved out onto the end of the street and they speed off. And so my dad runs out and helps her up and they told her if she didn't quit that they would, they took her to the Detroit river to show her where, where she was going to end up.
2: Oh man. So, and that, so she, it really yeah. was a life or death situation.
1: Yeah. Wow. So she started the union anyway <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: and she died when I was really young. She died when I was nine and, um, but i mean i just remember seeing all those cars going around the curves at the funeral home and thinking or at the cemetery thinking we're never going to get all those cars in here she was just beloved you know just a real uh i don't know just people really really loved her
2: and now here she is now here she is to you in this this incredible place you are distraught you are full of anxiety and then she comes let me just ask you prior to this what was your spiritual life like? Were, or were you religious at all? Did you have any faith? Uh, was it uh, was it ill-defined? Did you have no belief at all? I, I, w- where did you start out with?
1: Uh, well, so I was raised Catholic, so I had always believed in God. I didn't, and I'm not saying this of all people raised Catholic, but my experience was that it wasn't a real personal God. It wasn't a God who was going to help you day to day with your life or that you could go to with just small concerns. This was more of a a God waiting to whack you on the head for the stuff you've done wrong. That's, that's, and that may be my misunderstanding. Um, because we only went to the Catholic church until I was like seven. And, um, so made my first communion and then, uh, and then my parents just stopped going to church. And so through my adult life, I would say I was a Christian. Um, but I was a Christian that was like a Christian as a backup plan, just in case,
2: just in case, you
0: know,
1: I'm yeah. like if this God is real I don't want to be left out and, and things in my life had had shown me that there was a God that existed I just wasn't sure who he was or what my relationship to him was or if he really cared at all and so my grandmother's there and, and she's really loving and, and um, I, I asked her if I was dead and she said oh no honey energy isn't created or destroyed it just changes form that's God's law borrowed by man and I'm like Of course, of course, you know, I've seen all these people pass on in my work as a nurse and, um, you know, always just felt, I felt for sure like they were going someplace else like this wasn't the end of it. And it, it just was amazing to me to finally realize that there was science behind it that energy doesn't isn't created or destroyed, it just changes forms and that's true for us. And and that's an argument that most people can't get around. And and so when I learned that, I was like, okay, that's locked in. I believe this. And, um, because, you know, it did occur to me, was I going crazy or, you know, maybe I was making this up just to have something to think about. I didn't know what was going on because the time in the void felt like about 10 years to me because time there is really, really different. And, um, I mean, everything seemed to take a really long time, but be instantaneous all at once. It's really weird. Mm. So um, I'm there with my grandmother, and I start crying again, and she tells me to calm down. And um, so I asked her if I was dead, and she told me no, that I wasn't. She said, there's a cord that's holding you to your body, and if you decide to stay here with us, that cord will be broken. And if you decide to go back to your body, then the cord will stay intact. And I thought, okay, that yeah, that seems like that makes sense. And um, and then I, I was just kind of thinking about that, and she went away, and I didn't realize she had gone away, and I was just peaceful, kind of floating in this light. And then I felt this shaking, like if you ever had a really loud um, clap of thunder, shake your whole house,
0: mm-hmm.
1: just multiply that by a lot. And everything was shaking, and I was aware that everything that had ever been in all of history and everything that ever would be was shaking um, with the knowledge that the Lord was coming close. And and I immediately panicked. I was like, oh, shoot. Think of something good that you've done, because grandma could read my mind. And I'm sure if she could read it. God's going to be able to read
0: it. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And I can't think of one nice, kind, gentle thing. I've ever
2: done. <laughs> You know what? It, it, to, to your to your own credit. That's almost like saying, Oh, I love a certain actor. Oh, yeah. Well, and then you start thinking about all the the movies that you and you can't think of one movie that the person did. I would probably blank out on anything I (laughs) I was like, oh it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Especially when you're trying to assess yourself. It's a lot of pressure.
1: Because I'm thinking if he's gonna read my mind, the first thing I want him to see is something good, you know. I I don't want to be blank minded before God. And so he gets up to where I'm at and he's just light. Um, And I say he, for lack of better term, because the energy did seem masculine to me. And, um, and he he gets there and I thought, is this him? And he says, I am. And in my response, because I'm just who I am 100% of the time, I guess, my response was, yeah, you are. I was blown away. I'm like, I have heard that a million times. I am. I am that I am. And I never, I never understood the weight of that. And he just was there declaring, you know, everything, everything that you've been told that you had a hard time believing, I am that. And everything that you didn't want to believe because it would require too much of you, I'm that. And, you know, everything that the, all, the unknown that scares you, I am all of that. And I just was blown away because God was a very separate thing in my life like God was something I would think about or talk about when we would go to church or um, if somebody was struggling, I would pray, you know, and really pray for them. And, but it never felt like, you know, like, like if you and I were besties, you know how that feels, you've got a best friend um, and you talk to him frequently and you don't doubt any part of their existence or that wasn't what God was for me. God was very much me doubting his existence, hoping it was true, hoping he was benevolent Um hoping that he was righteous um, and not just some pink God of love who allowed everything. And, and he was, I am, I mean, he just was, and I wish I could explain that better. But I'm there with him, and, and um, he's going to show me scenes from my life, and I'm already panicked, and he calmed me. And I just understood that we weren't looking at these things for him to pass judgment on me. We were looking at these things so he could teach me. And, and I'm like, Oh, and in fact, I stood in judgment of the things I had done. And I think I was far harsher than anybody else would have been. And, and it's hard because you feel that emotion that you caused someone else, you feel it as though you were them. And so we're there. And the first thing he shows me is this good scene where I'm at this grocery store, this little save a lot, um, which is like the cheapest grocery store you can shop at here in Kentucky. And um, there was a lady in front of me and she didn't have enough money to pay for her groceries. And I had been in that situation before as a single mom of three kids. And she was deciding what to put back. And it was stuff that she would use, right? It wasn't the cereal for the kids. or. And I said, wait, 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 let me let me get it. And she was just mortified. And no, no, no. And I said, really, I've been there. It's okay. Let me help. And so I gave her the change and paid for my stuff and I walked out. And, and I thought, really? Like, all the good things I've done in my life, that's the one you pick. I mean, I've, I've been a nurse. I've saved lives. I've comforted people who have lost loved ones, you know, in a huge turn of events that they didn't expect. Um, I've helped little kids in really bad situations. But that was the thing he brought up. And, and he said, let me show you why. And so he flashes forward years. And there's that same woman that I helped at the grocery store working at a food pantry. And this woman walks in, and she's humiliated. And she says, hi, I, I'm going to need help with some food. And the lady behind the counter says, you know what? I needed help once, and somebody helped me. Don't be ashamed. Come on over here. Let me help. And I wow. I was blown away. I'm like, there is a ripple effect to something that small? Because I thought, you know, your purpose was huge things. And I didn't realize it's it's these small things that are in front of you every day that that something tells us we should do that thing, but we, some, for some reason, talk ourselves out of it. And, you know, I always tell people, your your thing today might be that you looked out the window and you saw the neighbor's trash can is still out and you know she's an elderly lady. And so instead of being asked or or waiting for her to fall, you go out and you move her trash can back and you say nothing. Um, And those things really, that it was your purpose for that day. And we all have them. We all have these things where it's like, oh, I should... I should do this, or I should go help with that. And then for some reason, we talk ourselves out of it. Those are the things that are, that change the world in this big roundabout way. And so he showed me that. And then I knew the next thing was going to be bad. And it was this woman that I worked with, who I thought was terrible. Um, And by, like, if you judged her by professional nursing standards, most people would agree. And I was never hateful to her or anything. But I always was picking up her slack, like answering her call lights or, you know, she wasn't going to take a patient off a bedpan if somebody offered her a million dollars. That tech could be an hour away and you were going to sit there.
0: Mm.
1: And and I'm like, you know what, if that were your mom, I just, I couldn't do it, you know? So she would let me do her work. And 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 I was like, her, really? This is, that's the bad thing? And so God, God showed me how I'd had all these negative thoughts toward her and how even though I'd never gossiped about her, because I'm careful not to gossip, I hate gossip. Even though I hadn't gossiped about her, I had given energy to that sort of thing by thinking about her every thinking negative things every time I worked with her. Oh geez. Yeah. You you know she deserved
2: it. <laughs> Penny, you're making me reflect on me. Oh man, I, I really I really I stay gossip makes me feel ill even when me I'm too. even when I'm around it. It, it these days especially. I've done a lot of reflecting on gossip and it makes me feel ill. I got a lot of chatty Cathy gossipy people in my family. And uh, and sometimes family gatherings really just you know make me feel nauseous, um, but if these are the things, I've I've thought quite a few things about people. I'll tell you that much, and I do every night. So um, this is just incredible. So so this is this is the 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 judgment, um, but it's not. It's more of a, you know, you, it's you,
1: education,
2: and you like, know, and, and you're in a you're in a space where you just. You understand what's going on because you've been you've been sufficiently stripped of all of your human pretense.
1: I'm seeing it from God's point of view, and mm. I'm seeing her as God's child. And I had this incredible compassion for her before God showed me what he showed me. I already was feeling compassion for her, and I could see where I had deflated her without ever saying a word. Just spiritually, I had done that. And they're like, you know, God's like, you put, a word has, a thought has energy, a word has even more energy, and an action has even more energy, but it all starts with a thought. And so he showed me her life, and she had been horribly abused, had been raped by her father from the time she was little. And, and I watched her life. I watched her come up and then decide to go into a caring profession. And considering what she was, what she had gone through, she was doing a great job. Um, you know, they're just, and I could have used that opportunity to mentor her rather than think critical things about her. Um, you know, I could have, I could have not done things out of spite, you know, like I'd get all huffy and go into the room and finally turn off the IV alarm. And, and, you know, I should have done something like, Hey, your IV alarms beeping. Um, let's go in here and take care of that. And just kind of pulled her into that and mentored her so that she would then understand hey that's that's my job if i'm the one sitting by the door and the tech's busy that's i need to get up that will drive a patient crazy listening to that alarm go off Mm. um but i saw how i did nothing to make things better and i only made things worth worse because you know it's like if you walk into a room where two people are fighting you can sense it well it was the same thing i would see her and know i was going to have to work the hall with her and be like and my whole countenance would fall so she had to know um but he showed me that and then um, we decided we were going to go on this journey and he was going to show me something
2: okay so then and, right, right there right there the journey that we're we're going to stop right there for intermission that's a great okay. place to stop we're going to come back in just about 2 minutes i'm going to put you on a on a, on a mute right here penny you stay right there okay. and you get comfy and you just forget about everything i said about great grandmotherhood and i'm just <laughs> when when i, when I <laughs> and when I come back we're going to start with the journey and I with and then I have questions building up and there are people out there and I'm so glad to have you here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We're going to be jumping over to quitefrankly.tv to pill.net. Those links have been provided in all the descriptions and the links below. Uh, please please join us. It's I know that there's a lot of things going on on the internet tonight, but this is a very cozy gathering and I think um um just an incredible story to live and relive because this is the second time I've heard it but with far more detail so uh don't go anywhere ladies and gentlemen we will be right back the rest of the show is available exclusively at pills.net follow the link in the description of the episode get signed up it's that easy
0: or head on over to quite just press play no paywalls no censorship no strings attached so head on over quite quitefrankly.tv, powered by foxhole and pilled.net It's intermission time, folks. Time
2: out to press the like button. Thank you.
0: Please gentlemen. Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Thank mm-hmm. you. Entering, quite frankly, quite frankly, quite frankly, quite frankly, quite frankly, quite frankly,
2: quite frankly, 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 we all support, quite frankly, not quite, quite frankly, Joe Brandon, quite frankly, in Roma, Italia, quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I want to get a Coke. Can I get a Coke? Alright, ladies and gentlemen. So we are here now on the second half. Really um, taking a cruise with Penny Whitpro tonight, and it's been uh, it's been something else. Now, if you've been listening since the beginning, then you know exactly where we are right now. Penny is experiencing something on the other side of life, of human life and um, has already been able to take a little bit of an accounting of the good and the bad of what's going on with the assistance of what you have come to know as God himself. Is that right, Penny?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I always tell people um, there's there's a Facebook group for people who've had near-death experiences. And a lot of folks who haven't had experiences go to that group to read about them. And, and there's always a percentage of people that come back somehow believing they're God, um, that they, and I that, that, that they are God, that they are God. We are all God. And I'm like, you know, the one thing that I realized was that there is a God and that I'm not God.
2: <laughs> you know, I guess that's the one thing I would ask of you um, before we get into the, the next journey that you go on, because I want to hear about the journey then I want to hear about the conclusion. And because you coming back is, is really the thing that, that blows this all away. The knowledge that you come back with is what takes this to another level that really separates it from, well, what if this was just a fever dream? It yeah. it, it completely separates it once we get to that point. But <clears throat> this revelation, this was, a, this was in no way, shape, or form outside of the bounds of a Christian affirmation for you. This was a Christian experience, correct? It was. So now my question for you is why do you think others who have at near-death experiences or whatever, they have more religiously ambiguous experiences. Uh, especially if this is a point in a person's life where whatever they were carrying with them through life comes into the revelation of the truth at, at, at afterwards. Why wouldn't God, the Christian God, be there representing himself and that truth for everybody regardless of how they lived on Earth?
1: I think that's a, that's a good question and <clears throat> Um, We're actually, I have a book club and we're reading a book. We're we're getting ready to finish it. Um, But it's called, where did I set it? Here it is. I can't reach it. Anyway, it's called um, Imagine the God of Heaven. It's by Pastor John Burke, and he's got a collection of near-death experience stories, and mine is in the book. And, um, And what's interesting is he talks about those experiences for people who are of other faiths. And even though they describe it a little differently, it still jives up with the God of the Bible. They may call it something else because their upbringing is different, um, and we still have to interpret it through our own lens, which is really difficult. So like When I first came back, I I think the first thing I wrote was for um, Enderf, which is the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, and they used to, I don't know if they still have it, but they used to have a way you could submit your story, and they had a um they had a page called exceptional near death experiences and mine was listed on that page and it's funny cuz i've gone back and read it since and it's so disjointed it's so hard to uh, like i've i've um i've unpacked it so much more since then you know and there are things that so like when it first happened when i first came out of it and all of that, just for anybody who doesn't know, I have what's called a mast cell activation disorder, and that's an autoimmune condition where your body just goes into anaphylaxis for some unknown reason. We think the surgery triggered it. And I had 18 episodes of respiratory failure in two and a half years, was on the ventilator and in comas every time.
2: So there was more, there was more comas after this.
1: Yeah, Did you have yeah. this
2: experience every time?
1: No, I had it twice. So I had it the first time and I had it the last time. Okay. And so, we're at this point, I'm going to go on this journey with God, and something just bristled up in me, and, and I, it was like, um, you've got a little girl, um, you know how it is when she digs her heels in and she's not going to do something? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've got a girl too. Um, it was like that, it, I was very childlike in the eyes of God. And it looked very much like that looks to us when we see our young kid do it. Like he wasn't offended by it or anything. And I just bristled all up and kind of crossed my arms over my chest and dug in. And and in my mind was saying, I'm not going anywhere with you. And And I said, you know, you say you love us. And we're supposed to believe that you love us and you want the best for us. But where were you when my kid's dad left? Where were you? when he would promise them something, and they would walk out to that mailbox every day looking for it, and it never came. Where were you? I could see that falling on me because I'm an adult, but these are your children. Why would you not intercede? I prayed and prayed, you know, just for him to have a relationship with them, not even a reconciliation. And God said, oh my goodness, dear one, you've completely misunderstood me. Let me show you. And he just does this, this light kind of goes in a whoosh, And there's this screen and I can see I'm, but I'm there and I'm sitting on, in a set of bleachers next to my oldest son, David, and his son at the time when I, when all this happened was two, but in this vision, he's five. And so I'm sitting next to David and my grandson calls running up and down the field and he's older. I can see that he's not two. And, um, and I'm just watching him and, you know, his skin's tan and the sun shining off his hair and he just, everything about that moment is burned in my brain. And he's smiling. And, and I just remember thinking how alive he looked. And my son leaned over to me and he says, Mom, I'm going to be the dad to him that I deserved. And I thought, okay, you know, if, if God, if you let this happen to us so that this would never happen to anybody else in generations to come, then okay, we'll take one for the team for that. I didn't realize that's that you were fixing this generational curse. And you know, my kids are all involved in their their kids' lives, you know, very involved, great parents. And and so when he showed me that, I felt like I could let him in. And and so around so this whole time I have this sense of my body, but it's more of a vapor, but it still looks like a body, and there's and it's a little bit brighter. Mm-hmm. And so God starts, this trail comes off of this light that is God. And I have to say this part because people get all freaked out about it if I don't. So when I met God in heaven, God was the Trinity, the triune God. So with him was Christ and the Holy Spirit. Just like if you came to my door, it wouldn't be Frank, um, his spirit and his mind, right? So your body, your mind, and your spirit? It would You're all in one container, one package. Yeah. And that's how God was. People will get all bent out of shape. You know, why didn't you see Jesus? I'm like, it was understood that Jesus was with God in the light and the Holy Spirit was there too. And so this almost like a, a beam of light comes off of that light and it starts circling around my feet. And then it comes into my toes and I can see my toes light up from the inside. And it comes up my shins and up my legs and it gets into my middle, like my belly, and I can feel it like somebody swirling a cloak around and it's going around all of these um, visceral hurts that I had had over the years. And I could see that, you know, I had, I had created this prison for myself on this side. Every time I got hurt, you know, when my husband, when I found out my husband was cheating, when he left, I mean, every little thing I had taken these bricks and I had stacked them to protect myself. I built this wall, but I had done it for so long, I didn't realize I'd built it all the way around to a prison. And so, I had become my own jailer. And, and the love and the light of God was in me, freeing me of that. And so, it goes all the way around, it comes up and around my heart, and I just, I could feel this love in my heart. And what's really interesting about this is I read this last summer, we actually have more neurons, you know, neurons, the things that send messages back and forth in our brain, We have more of those in our heart than we have in our brain. And I thought that was interesting because I was reading transplant stories of people who'd had a heart transplant and then went on to like the things that the donor had liked or um, developed a drive for the same activities that that person did. And, And I thought, well, that would make sense if there's neurons in the heart, that part of that cellular memory would go with them. And so he's going around, he's going in my heart, it comes up my throat, it hits the back of my tongue, and I start singing the most beautiful singing I'd ever heard and I can't sing. And I remember thinking, if I go back, I'd like to keep that. (laughs) And so then it goes up and it's going around and it's behind my eyes and I can feel it's going to come out of my eyes. And so I squeezed them shut and the light of God came through my eyelashes. It hit the light that was around me and then it bounced back in into my brain. And then it started going through all the little curves in my brain. And as it did, I knew everything. And I couldn't tell you what I knew, but I knew everything. And I knew I wasn't going to get to keep it. And I remembered like parts of my brain that I don't even use very much lit up and, and I knew things in a new way. Like I had a different, more broad understanding of things, of the universe, of the world, of the nature of man. That, and those are the things I'm still unpacking. But um, so once that's all done, God takes my hand. And it was interesting because he definitely has the traits of male and female. He's definitely nurturing like a mother would be, but, um, but also righteous like a father would be and, um, and protective like a father would be. But I can see where we're designed in his image um, and unique in that design. And so um, he grabs my hand and we start going through my DNA. So we're going deeper and deeper and deeper down through this DNA and we get to this spot and he stops really fast and hard. Like if you were going 100 miles in a car and just stopped dead. And, and it was jolting. And he said, do you see me? And I'm like, yeah, I see you. You're all around me. And he's like, no, right there. Do you see me? And I look in my DNA and in this part of the DNA that's called junk DNA, which I didn't know about at the time, um, there is God. His fingerprints were all over me. And he's like, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I am your father, and I'm like. But people say you're not. People say you don't exist, and you're not their God. And he said, a person can say their father is not their father, but we can look here and know the truth. I am your father. I am in you. And I knew that God was in me, but that I was not God. Just like my father is in me, but I'm not my father. And, um, so we I we get to that point, and I realize I can't stay. Um, I want to stay, but. I feel like I had so let God down by not doing the things that I was put here to do. And I felt like I could stay and there wouldn't be any judgment for that. He wouldn't think any less of me. But I needed to do those things. Those he He knit me together with his own fingers because he had things that were important that he needed me to do. And I wanted to go do those important things. And so I decide I'm going to come back. And as soon as I have the thought, he starts pulling away from me and I can feel this chasm opening up between us and I'm crying and I'm like, wait, 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 don't go. And he stops. And I said, "Um, let me remember it. I feel like if I go back and you don't let me remember it, I won't have any hope. And so I wake up, I'm in the ICU. There's a nurse sitting next to my bed. I'm off the ventilator and she's like, well, hello, welcome back. And, I say, my first words are, I was with God. And she pats my hand. She's like, oh, that's nice, dear. And I'm at Baptist Hospital, I think. Um, And I'm like, no. I mean, just now, just now, I was with God. She's like, let me go get your family, dear. And she puts in um, a psych consult.
2: (laughs) Oh, of course.
1: (laughs) At a faith-based hospital.
2: (laughs) See, this is is incredible here. Um, Because now we're going to get into a part... Of a story that I think everybody can, uh, everybody can really, really uh, it, uh, relate to in one way or another, and you'll and you'll see what I'm, I'm getting at because I have some questions about this. But now you're you are back, you are back, and there your family is coming in. Now here's the big ones. Now you are tying two worlds together, and this is where really the rubber meets the road as far as how much can be put into the authenticity of your experience cuz up to this because you know th- there's certain a- elements of your th- people do a lot of drugs to to try sure. to experience what you've you know even a fraction of what you've you've experienced people take hallucinogens all the time they try to reach the mm-hmm. other side and all that and uh, and sometimes they can have just as psychedelic an, uh, an experience as you have but they don't have some things that you have here and that is the link th- your your sister in the car the Facebook messages, the, let's get into all this stuff. You're back, you're in the hospital, yeah. and now you are starting to talk with people who have been there waiting for you the whole time, praying for you the whole time.
1: Yeah, so I'm back, and I, I have to trim some out because it's a long story. Like, I don't get to talk about the grass and the flowers and the water, and, mm-hmm. but that's all really cool, too. But um, I'm back, and one of the things that I saw while I was out of my body, so just to be clear medically, I'm alive. I pop out of my body at the moment I stop breathing, And I don't pop back in until the moment that I wake up, um, though I do see my body. Um, The other thing that I saw while I was on the other side um, was my sister sitting in a waiting room that I had never been in um, with my son. And so the chairs come to a corner, right? There's a corner here. There's a chair in the corner. There's two chairs on the side here. And then there's a big row of chairs here. Well, there are two chairs over from the corner my sister's sitting here. My son is sitting here. Her purse is in between them. They're talking about, do I have an advanced directive? Would I want to be kept alive on a ventilator? If so, for how long? Have I expressed this to anyone? Um, and she pulls out of her purse this little package of Kleenex with blue Kleenex in it. And so I wake up from this coma. My sister comes in and I said, I saw what you wrote on Facebook. <laughs> you know, like I couldn't get it out quick enough. She said, what? hang on, kiddo, I'm coming. I saw what you wrote on Facebook. And she's like, well, somebody must have said, nobody had said anything. Like the only person who would have seen it would have been my daughter.
2: Because you said it was a direct message. It was a private message.
1: Right, right, right. So it wasn't like it was up on Facebook and I could have heard people talking about that post or anything.
2: Um. So what does she, what you, is, know, I, you know, does, does, does her, her face get drained of color at that point? Like what, 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 what? We ha- no longer speak. You and your sister?
1: I could not tell you why. She has been weirded out ever since then and just, and it's funny cause she's a Christian. She's got some weird beliefs going on, but um, yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't speak. She was absolutely
2: weirded out by it. That was, that was the point at which you and your sister became less and less attached to each other. That should have been an affirmation of everything. Right. right? I mean, I knew, I,
1: I knew that she'd pulled over under a gas station canopy and I used to remember the numbers above the door. I don't remember the numbers above the door, but I knew the address. Wow. Um, how would I know she had blue Kleenex in her purse? How would I know about a conversation that happened in a waiting room down the hall? I'd never, even when I worked at that hospital, I'd never been in that waiting room.
2: See, this is it. You know, most people would assume that the human brain is uh, in consciousness. We're talking about like a hard drive. But here you are outside of yourself and you're recalling things that happened outside of yourself. It's you, you cannot, how, how do you explain that? How do you explain that?
1: Exactly. How do you explain that? I mean, how do you explain that? Not scientifically. That the respiratory therapist that came in was balding on his crown. I could not have seen that from the bed. Um, And I knew who came in. I knew how many people came in. I knew what my drip rate was on the drugs that I was on. I knew what my vital signs were um, you know, I mean, I was able to see myself from the other side and determine that I was in critical, but stable condition. So my brain was definitely still working and it was connecting with things happening on this side.
2: So you call, so now you, uh, now you're here. We, I understand that this is very odd for your sister to take, but, but how, how are you, um, how are you, you know, articulating this for the rest of your family and, and, and where does everything go from there?
1: So so everybody thinks I'm crazy. Um, My husband even thinks I'm a little crazy. We weren't married at the time. Um, But we were in a very serious relationship. And I just kind of went nuts. It's really, it's, first of all, I've never been more homesick for a place in my life. And I kept hoping every time that I would go into respiratory failure that I would die so I could stay. And if you can just imagine leaving the people that you love more than anything because you love God more than anything once you meet him and, and having to leave that person and it it being such a distance that you can't even understand it. And there was just this incredible acceptance and love. And I remembered heaven when I got there, I was like, Oh, that's right. This is real. This is real. That place down there is not real. It seems real, but it's not real. Like this is real. They're real in different ways. And, and I just didn't want to be here. And so so when I first woke up, everybody comes to visit me. The nurse runs them off because I was tiring out pretty quick. And they finally close the, the curtain in the room. There were these big glass doors, slide the glass door shut, they leave. And God pops into the room, scares me to death. And I yell <laughs> and he laughs. And he's like, why Why are you scared? And I'm like, well, you just popped into the room. You, you're just, you're here. He's like, I'm always here. I'm like, but not like that. And it was, we had a big laugh over it. It was super funny. And he said... I'm going to give you this message and I want you to give it to the world. And, and so he gave it to me and I didn't know how I was going to remember it because I didn't have any way to write it down. But the next day I got um, pen and paper and wrote it down and I shared it with no one because it was the most beautiful love letter anybody had ever given me. And I, I wanted it for me because I'd never gotten a love letter before. And, and I'm like, this is the kindest, sweetest thing anybody's ever said. And I, I would like it just to be intimate between us. But eventually I started sharing it. Um, And I'll find that before we get done here. But, um, you know, I get out of the hospital. So over two and a half years, this happened 18 times. So as you can imagine, I'm in the hospital more often than not. Um, and, And God had told me when I go back, he said, when you go back, start saying yes. And I didn't know what that meant, really. And so the 18th time, and you know, the, in the meantime, we're trying to figure out what's going on, what's wrong with me. Doctors are like, it's anxiety. And I'm like, why would anxiety swell your airway shut? Why would you intubate me for anxiety?
0: Yeah,
1: um, You know, and, I, and I, I told a doctor one time, I'm like, look, just because um, I have a vagina and you don't know what's wrong with me does not make me crazy. It just means you, you lack um, any detective skills. And I'm telling you, if I were a man, you'd figure it out. But, you know, for a woman, it's real easy just to slap that anxiety diagnosis on people. And I'm like, why am I suddenly anxious to death? I wasn't before. I was fine until yesterday. Um, But anyway, we go through and we finally get a diagnosis. And they said, you know, generally what happens is um, it either goes into remission suddenly at around two and a half, three years or you die. Wow. And right at two and a half years, I went into remission. So I had that episode that 18th episode, and I was out of my body, and I was with God again, and I was so thankful. And I'm like, I'm not going back. And I said, you said you'd fix me. And he's like, no. Um, He said, I told you to say yes. And I'm like, I know, but what about fixing me? And he's like, well, you keep saying no. I keep giving you opportunities and putting people in your path that I want you to connect with, and you keep saying no. And I was like, "Are, are you telling me that if I say yes, I'll stop having these attacks. And he's like, yes. And, I'm, and I literally thought that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I didn't say it out loud, but it doesn't matter because he can hear your thoughts. And I, I caught it. And I was like, okay, this sounds insane. <laughs> but if that's what you say, I'll give it a try. And so this friend of mine, Brian Smith, who runs a support group for people who've lost children called Grief to Growth, had um, knew me from the near-death experience group. And he had messaged me several times to ask me to come speak to their group. in since he, I had said, no, come up with a lie, an excuse, it didn't matter. Social anxiety, I'm not doing it. And he contacted me after I got out of the hospital that last time to check on me. And he said, you know, I was just wondering if you'd consider, and I said, yes. And he was like, what, what? And I'm like, just stop talking to me now or I'll think of a reason not to do it. And that was the first talk I've done I've done every talk since I've not had any other episodes of anaphylaxis. Wow. Um, my, in fact, we've tested the labs that were really crazy off. So like your eosinophil count should be under 150, I think. And mine was running about 10,000 when I was in the hospital and nobody could figure out. Nobody looked at that. Even though those numbers were there, nobody looked at that and said, wow, why are her eosinophils 10,000? She's having huge allergic responses. Maybe this is it. And that was it. Um, but God just as soon as I said yes, that was it. Now I've been sick with other things and had other struggles, but I've not had any more anaphylaxis.
2: Oh, so that's all
1: I was telling you. Yeah. So when you start unpacking this, you're just a hot mess because you don't know what you just saw. It doesn't it like why why wasn't I in heaven? You know, and where was heaven? And and why was Christ included in the Trinity and not a separate person? And And maybe I'm Buddhist, you know, I mean, I had no idea, like, I'm like, where do these biblical scriptures come from? And people say they leave so much out and, and, and is the stuff that's left out, is that stuff that we really need to know? And, and, you know, what's the difference between this religion and that religion? And they all have these same basic tenets. And, and so I started reading the Bible more and I was, I've asked a lot of people, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says you, it says that the only way to, to, to the father is through the son, through Christ. I can find nothing that says you have to figure that out while you're still in your body. And the reason I say that is because I'm friends with Howard storm who had a hellish near death experience. He was an atheist. And when he came back, he became an Episcopal uh, priest. And, and he does that to this day that divorced his wife, divorced him because she was an atheist. And when he got on the other side, he was being torn apart by demons and all he could remember was something was telling him to call out to God. And I think the only thing he could remember was the song, Jesus Loves Me. And so he started singing that song, and angels saved him. And that makes me think that there is time. I mean, I wouldn't leave it to the last minute like this. But there's time when you leave your body to realize who, who Christ is and that Christ is the way to God. And because that's how it worked for many people that I know who've been atheists. But I've talked to people who've been Muslim, and and it's interesting because even there, I expected them to really have criticism or a lot of questions, and they're like, I, that's kind of the tenets of our faith. And then I'll get somebody who's Buddhist who's like, well, I mean, other than God and Jesus, that's pretty much the tenets of our faith. And so I think there's a lot in common, and you could fit it into any thing you wanted to just hearing it. But having experienced it, it rings very true to the Bible
2: for me. Um there's a couple of questions I have before we we start wrapping up here because it's I'm just so happy that we have this on the record and I'd love to have you call in again to uh, to give any kind of commentary on related issues. But life afterward, you know, life after something like this, anything like this, a major point in a in a person's life is um, is very frustrating. Yeah. The frustration is a huge part of life. I remember. I mean one of the, the uh, one of the greatest days of my life outside of the the birth of my daughter was my wedding day, and it was it was just a perfect day. It was it was beautiful. It was the people there. It was just I love my wedding day, and I remember the day of my wedding. I was saying you know I. Taking I had taken a couple of days off from the show. Everybody was, you know, congratulations, Frank and Lauren. It was a lot so there's a lot of anticipation going. It was a perfect day and wedged in between all these rainy days. And I felt like I had one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. And I said to myself, "Man, I wish I could bottle the, on my wedding day. I'm driving up to the to I'm I'm driving up to the golf course, and I've got some of my uh, my groomsmen in the back seat, and we're all driving up there. It was a beautiful, crisp May day, and it was so early in the morning. If it, it was, I was driving a truck in heaven, and um, and I swear, I said to myself, I wanted to bottle this feeling." I told my my friends in the car. I said, "Guys, I've got to find a way to make this last. I got to bring this energy and this love into every broadcast I do. This is I, I am I am buzzing right now. And then you know you give it a week, and <laughs> you, you give it a week, and you you have lost all of that. I mean, you are just struggling. You're struggling. Just <laughs> struggling. Remember the wedding, Frank. I was like, you know, it's." So, but I have to imagine that this is in the same category of letdown after a while. How do you maintain that? How do you maintain that after coming back and having to live amongst the humans?
1: The humans, yeah. I have a lot of compassion for the humans. Um, They, I, I feel like they don't get a fair chance, you know, because there's so much, there's so many lies that are being fed to them. There's so many people on the outside manipulating them that they make the truth almost impossible to find, and and they do that to keep us on an uneven footing because it's scary to be on uneven footing. It's scary to to give yourself over to your faith or your God if if the world is in chaos um, because you know you're back down to that Maslow's hierarchy of need where you're back down to safety again. You've 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 totally passed up self-actualization and you're down here at safety. Because, you know, are are we going to end up in a war? Are we going to end up with a president who completely destroys our constitution? I mean, there's just, there's a lot going on. You know, we've got people, we've got a guy being charged with a hate crime because he knocked down a Satan statue at a, a, I'm like, you're kidding me. People took down like whole statues, real statues and got in no trouble. And, you know, there's this verse in the Bible that says, you know, that we're to be cautious of this time when when people tell us good is evil and evil is good and that's where we are i mean i see what's being pushed on us for our children i see you know the perversion of innocence and there is nothing there is nothing that makes god angrier than the perversion of innocence there's just not i I mean i can feel the ire of god in me just thinking about it and there's no mercy for somebody who would do that. I really don't think there is, especially some of the really dark things that are being done. Um, you know, these aren't people who have, you know, gone down a bad path, but but have some good in them where they can be redeemed. These are evil people. I don't even know if they're people, to be honest, mm. to, to do something like what's being done to these kids. And, you know, just just being in the hospital in the last week, I was amazed I don't want to sound super critical when I say this. Um, when I was a nurse, I took, if you were my patient, I took care of you like you were my husband or my father, or I wanted you to ha- have the compassion and feel like this person really cares about you. And so when I would go in, I would t- take report, assess my patient. And I would sit down and say, look, I've got five minutes. I know it's not a lot. But you have my full attention for five minutes. And i turn off my phone that they give you to interrupt you when you're taking care of patients. And you know, I'm like, how do you feel like this hospital stays going? What do you feel like we should be working on that we're not working on? Are you getting good rest? Um, you know, Basic things that nobody asks. And it was amazing how much of a bond I could develop with a patient in that little five minute window. Well, here I'm in the hospital recently and, and I told my husband, I said, I was in the hospital for four days. One nurse assessed me. One. You're supposed to be assessed every shift. And I'm like, that is a basic lack of compassion and care for your patients that is scary to me. And when it's the rule rather than the exception, and, and I had been in the hospital a while back, um, and it was the same thing the entire time I was. And I talked to the, to the uh, nursing director for the unit I said, not one of your nurses has done a physical assessment. I'd like to know what's been charted. And they're just fraudulently charting physical assessments. Mm. And I'm like, I mean, yes, that's a problem. Legally, it's a problem. Medically, it's a problem. But that's a problem with people that you don't care about your calling, that it's not a calling for you. It's just a job. Because if it's a calling, I'm going to listen to your lungs, and I'm going to listen to your belly. I'm going to turn you over and look at your skin. I'm going to make sure you're cognitively appropriate. Um, because I do my nursing job, I'm retired now, but I did my nursing job as though it, God had specifically put that person in my charge. And and I'm just, I wonder if, you know, maybe they ran so many of the good nurses out um, with all the COVID stuff that this is what's left. And they just I mean, and they know I'm a nurse, and they're not doing the assessments, which is really ballsy if you think
2: about. Hey, it. I, I just I just did a uh, another healthcare um, venting show recently where i opened up a I opened up a healthcare professional line for people to call in, and it was mostly about that night was mostly about the the inability to get people who need specialist attention in front of a specialist within like yeah. two months. You yeah. know, it, so there's all that, but then there's also just a. A general decline in bedside manner and yeah. and and ca- like what you're talking about uh, when you are and unfortunately over the last couple of years I've spent a lot of time in and out of hospitals for for people in my life and uh, and also for the, the aging and and uh, dying um, older elderly members of my family who have had to you know be taken care of at home with with aids at home and I'll tell you when you find a good nurse. It is like it's it's almost like heaven has come down to anoint you, because for every good one, there seems to be five to seven just completely dispassionate, uncaring yeah. people who are just clocking out whenever the end of the day is there. And there's really, there's really no. It was I I, I understand what you're saying, Penny, and for and I know that you have um you have some perspective on that from both sides of the coin. So I I have a. I guess the last question I have for you right now is: Since then, how do you pray? Um, because you know you've you weren't you didn't have a, a regimen, you didn't have a a real religious routine or anything going into this. Now you've had such a personal experience, an intimate one there too. And I know that it, it must be an, it will be impossible for the rest of your life to ever not acknowledge your creator. So, but h- how do you how do you pray? How do you honor? honor God, uh, since then?
1: Um, I pray boldly. I pray expecting that God is going to do the thing that needs to be done, whether I'm praying for the white right thing or not. Um, because, you know, often we pray, I saw this in my terminal patients, you know, you'd have this, a patient that's obviously terminal, like there's just, they're on their last days. And you'd have patients, you know, they're 98 years old, they got end stage COPD, the family's like, do everything you can put them on the ventilator. And I'm like, that's not just because we can doesn't mean we should. Um, You know, your family member wants to be allowed to die peacefully, they don't want to have to be on life support. And, and, and so you have to pray, you know, that what God's will is for that person would be done, not necessarily what what my will is for that person. And so, where I do the we have a Wednesday morning book clubs, and we generally read books that are faith-based. and um the, the book that we're reading has really helped me be more bold before God. And there's this thing that that I do, and it's called Breath Praying. So you know, in all of the things that I'm doing during the day, I try to remember to talk to God just like if you were here at the house and I was, you know, doing my stuff, I would be talking to you at the same time. And so you know I do a lot of that kind of praying where I'm like, God, you know things in this world are so topsy turvy right now, and I'm praying for your light. I'm praying for it to be bold and blinding, and for it to shine a light on the evil that is so bright that no one can turn away from it, because that's what it's going to take. Nobody realizes how deep the swamp is, um, and I think they're going to be shocked if we ever get to the bottom of it, because I I think it is so deep and so entangled in every part of what's going on nowadays and and i feel like it is this great battle between death and life yeah you know like one side really wants death and the rest of us are like just please let us live and leave us alone and and i see people losing hope and getting really um, blackpilled because they don't believe that there's anything that we can do and and i i've got one message for you apathy solves nothing you know If you decide to do nothing, then you're part of it. Apathy solves nothing. Even if you do everything and you fail, you didn't have apathy, so you didn't fail. You did everything you could. And so I would really encourage people in that way. You know, if you're struggling, so many people reach out to me because they're struggling with division in their family because of politics or COVID or whatever, Um, you know, division at, at work. They feel like they can't be who they are and say obvious things that they're being you know, their arms being twisted to conform to ways of language that, that don't even make any sense. Um, I, I mean, you don't get to be plural. I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. Um, but if I have to keep going back in the article because I see they, them, and I'm trying to figure out who they, them are, <laughs> and it's just one person,
0: I know. I'm
1: know. Uh, i like, pick a pronoun that's not plural. Well, I'll, I'll go along with that, it. That, go-
2: that goes to what you were saying about the, the, the picking between life and death. When yeah. I, when I think about that, when I think about that, um, it's the little deaths. It's the death of consciousness. It's the death of language, which, the, which is the A death of ex- the, the express, the death of expression. Um, yes. uh, you know, it, everything that people and, and it's not that people are saying, "Ah, oh, yes, 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 yes." Pronouns and and genitalia and genders. I yes, no, no. This this is death, and I want it. They don't think that they actually they've been sold a bad bill of goods, that this is the next evolution, that this is the next step in affirming life for people. But it it, it is it's death, de- it is death. It is cloaked in this very false promise of a a new comforting future, but it is all getting worse and they, they, they can't get that. And uh, it comes in many, many forms. And a lot of it is just people who have been uprooted and severed from anything that will tether them to reality and uh, And then get blown in the wind by uh, and those who understand the way that the the, the the world and the universe really works and the reason why I wanted to ask you about the praying is is only because hey, you know people like me who have had reversions in their life they we all, we all find our way to pray and and we we do our things to to try to get a little bit closer to uh, to God, but you have had such a like you you described yourself as my 3-year-old daughter standing up to me and being you know having having that 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 intimate one-on-one that conversational pace with 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 God yeah. is something very unique i less than 1% of people can probably less than a fraction of 1% of people alive right now can say that they've done that so i have to imagine that your your communing or communicating with God is a little bit more different cuz you guys are you guys are thick as thieves right now.
1: It's easier to, and I realize this because I have an unfair advantage. It's much easier. I know God's voice when I hear it, and I know my internal musings when I hear them, and I can easily tell the difference. Before I couldn't. Before I was like, is that me or is that God? Is that something I'm supposed to? I just couldn't tell. And so now, and part of it is because I talk to Him so much um, that. You know, I don't want to be disconnected from God. And I see so much that that is the goal. Disconnection is the goal. Disconnecting you and I so we can't have these conversations. Disconnecting you from who you are as a man. Disconnecting me from the natural realities of who I am as a woman. Um, and trying to put something false on me and say, that's now me. Um so that I begin to question who I am and become disconnected from myself. And then the battle's won once they've disconnected you from who you are. And and it's, it's uh, there's a name for that. What is that called where you degrade somebody? So dehumanize. It's so dehumanizing. Um, I Like I really feel for our boys. And I, you know, the majority of our grandkids, are they all boys? I no, don't see we got cool. So I can't think how many, no, the majority are girls now. Um, but the two boys, I feel really bad for them because everything that would typically be masculine is now ridiculous. You know, we, we treat it like it's ridiculous. You know, a man like men are men and boys are more likely to fight. That's a good trait. You have to funnel it. You have to direct it, um, so that they're not using it inappropriately, but there are appropriate times to be violent in the cause of protecting someone else, or and they're even trying to weed that out of men. That you know, we're going to get rid of the police, and we don't want you to stand up either. And once you get all the men to lay down, I don't know what's next.
2: Oh yeah, that's it. That's all. And I, I and you're 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 spot on with all this. Um, and I, I would have to say that going forward, there's all there's, there's so much to reflect on. But as we go into this year it's just february and 12 2024 and uh, you know there's gonna be a lot thrown our way uh yeah. the the conclusion of this year is going to be insanity one way or another uh it's just going to be fever pitch kind of th- kind of things uh to end the show tonight leave us with uh leave us with a a, a good tiding or or something to take with us into the uh into the new year because uh mm-hmm.
1: You the message from god. Oh yes,
2: give but us the message of god from god.
1: Hopefully it's right here where I can get to it. I usually look it up before but I forgot.
0: Done.
2: Gonna sleep well after this one, I'll tell you.
0: <laughs> I hope so.
2: Yeah.
1: Um crud, what do I do with it. Hold on, one more place.
2: I think that you'd have this uh, framed and on the, on the wall by now.
1: A lot, of people, uh, a lot of people have asked me for it. I need to get it up and print it and put it up in a shop or something. Okay. So I, this, is, um, this isn't the message from God with my take on it. Um, so this is from God directly. Such folly to think anything escapes my knowing. As when you were with me, all at once, all that I allowed you to know, you knew. No words were spoken, nor were they shouted. I whispered them to your spirit. I discreetly filled you with knowing. Knowing flowed into you at least, into you as effortlessly as taking a breath. Is it not so? The great I am. No truer words have ever been spoken or written. The great I am is in your core. The great I am is the light. Even when I am hidden, still I am. As my energy charged, sending me over each synapse in your brain, even those small fibers knew that I am. They rose and fell to the rhythm I created, to the symphony I composed, I conducted. I consider it a tragic comedy of arrogance when man denies what the smallest innervation knows. Man thinks he acts and moves outside my knowledge. How could it be so? I say, I proclaim he does not. His own fibers clutch themselves, laughing at the idea. I am the flower, the wind, the rain the sinew, the marrow, the rock, the author, the maker, the touch that set in motion all that you see, all that you know, and all that you do not see or know. I knit you. I put breath in you. I am coded in every cell. Every nanosecond of time falls in step, as I will it so. I am in you. I am in you. I am all. Even when you perceive nothing, still I am there. As I tell you this here and now, pressing my truth into your breast, your very heart presses it further in. And then this is just my little summary after that. I was so profoundly changed by my experience. I am open to being hurt and to being loved. I am learning that hurt people hurt people. I try to use kind words to turn away anger. It doesn't always work, but a soft word rarely hurts. It seems easier to discern the difference between my own internal chatter and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. God continues to do profound things in and through me. I've definitely had many difficult challenges, but I see them differently. I can choose to let circumstances break me or take those opportunities to become more. I try to engage with other people in a more real and meaningful way. I'm learning to be more authentic and vulnerable, especially when being vulnerable is hard. If I feel sad, I'm much less likely to hide it. If I feel anger, I'm much more likely to temper it with love or at least understanding. I am flawed and beautifully so. Love carries us while pain and mistakes build us. Every awful thing is an opportunity. We can shrink from it or rise to it. I choose to rise. I used to build walls to protect myself, but the thing with wall building is this. While walls do keep people out, they also keep you in. You make yourself a captive and unwittingly become your own jailer. You limit all potential. I've been taking down those walls. Every day I tear down a bit more, one brick at a time. My prison is looking a lot more like rubble these days. It lays all around me and I refuse to put it back up. I refuse. I am climbing on top of the remains and rubble. I see freedom on the other side and I am claiming it. I am taking back all I surrendered. I refuse to make myself a slave or a captive, not after all God has done for me, not after how he loved me and healed me. He saw me, all of me the good and the bad. Instead of hiding from him in shame, I chose to surrender to his presence. In that moment, when I laid myself bare before God, he took all my shame and vanquished it. He took all the good in me and magnified it. He made me more, and I refused to squander it. God is giving me a do-over. He's giving me life and love and people to connect with. That's all in front of me now. And rather than hide, I choose to say yes. I choose to say yes. I won't shrink from it. I hope his light still shines from me. I hope it continues to just pour out because to keep it for only myself would be theft. To give it—that's my gain. Loving others is a choice, and that choice heals me every day.
2: Well, that is something to take with us uh, forward. And if, if everybody has that uh, that inspiring uh, that direction, that trajectory. That would change a lot, and it's it definitely, a, a definitely a world in need of that mentality, Penny. And and I, uh, again, it's, it's been a long time coming. We were supposed to do this back in September, but I'm, I yeah. don't, I don't care how long it took. It was perfect tonight, and I'm, I'm so happy that you were with us. And and I have all of your URLs, all the contact information is in the description of this episode. And I really hope that we get to amend this conversation in the future. Me too, me yeah. too. It's been fun. You're a good host, Frank. Well, thank you. You're a fantastic guest. And please send all my love to your family and all of your grandchildren, and I will I uh, will talk to you soon. I'm sure that everybody is, is uh, just as pleased with your presence here tonight as I am.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Frank.
2: All right. Take care, Penny Whitbroat. All right. Talk soon. Talk soon. There is Nurse Penny, and wow, we just did a, almost nearly the whole show together. And I knew it was going to be something like that. I knew it. Because it's a, uh, it's a, it's big. It's big. And again, the Facebook messages, the, uh, the waiting rooms, the, you know, being inside of a car, being however many miles away, there is, there's so many aspects of her story that keep you anchored down. You can think about all the details. You think about everything that happens in between the dialogue with God, Um, you know, seeing your grandmother, um, the, just, just the being outside of your body, those points of observation, those always make me think, and they get you, it gets me at least as a, as an, as an audience member at that point, much of that, I was an audience member with you and that keeps me focused and anchored down. There's something, there are things about this that cannot be explained medically, there's things about this story that cannot be explained by a hallucination, a, com- a, a combination of drugs that were going on, trauma, whatever the hell it is. It's an observer of effect that separates you from your physical body. How how does that, if not for the um, the travels of the soul and the consciousness? I mean, there's there's so much there. Now we were supposed to have Penny on in September, the night before we had Eben Alexander on. And, you know, Eben Alexander, he was, uh, you know, he had a deeply meaningful NDE as well while he was brain dead for days. And it's similar to how Nurse Penny was shown a scene that was to occur three years in the future. Dr. Eben, his tour guide in heaven was a deceased biological sister, if you remember that, that he wouldn't even know existed until years later. So, I mean, he's a neurosurgeon, though, and his investigations took him to a little bit more, I think some people would say, this is very new age. It didn't have all the trappings of anything that you would consider uh, um, traditionally Christian or identifiably Christian, which is why I wanted to ask Penny, uh, a person who had a Christian affirmation through her experience, why it isn't universal. That's something that the jury's still out for me, because if this is a universal truth and there is no reading between the lines and there's no, uh, there's no crossover or anything like that, then you would expect everybody to have the same revelation, especially if you're spent however many days in heaven. Now, I, I understand you blip in, you blip out, you see something you can't explain and then you're gone. But, um, so I, just very, very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. I um I think it's great. Let's get to some super chats. There's not going to be enough time for a break and, and barely enough time for any calls, not any calls of substance. And please remember, ladies and gentlemen, as soon as we end this tonight, I'm going to maybe maybe within five to ten minutes, just give me a couple of seconds. I already have the the videos loaded up. As soon as we end this tonight, I'm going to be premiering, Well, I'm going to be rebroadcasting the uh, Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin two-hour interview on Quite TV. So if you're watching this live, then you simply don't have to do anything but sit there. And maybe after, I don't know, after a couple of minutes, just keep refreshing until something comes, it'll come on, but whatever. Just wanted to say that. And we'll see what the hell has happened in, um, in our absence. I'm sure the world kept turning. And we'll understand what's going on there. But we'll all be caught up before you know it. Um, let's get to some super chats. Sto Stoob says, in wonderful support of independent media, here's a super chat once again from the Stubes. Always our pleasure to support, quite frankly, brother. Also, please shout out all of our best Franklys and Franciscans out there. Shout out to you all from the Stoobs. We love them. And it's so, so generous of them, too. Thank you. Yes, I Am Laura says, great show. I loved it. Jay Britz says, hey, Frank, great show. I had seen Nurse Penny a few years back on Zach's show and had wanted to see her again. Thanks. Wow, that's right. Nurse Penny was on, uh, she was on Red Pill 78 years ago. I know she had a, a relationship with Tracy for that that's lasted years, too, and... I wanted to put some sufficient time in between her dark to light appearance and this one just so that it would be fresh for people, a refresh for others. And we got a lot of details I didn't know. I did not know about the trauma. I didn't know about the assault. The assault from the 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 man, the the patient. That started off with something a little bit different. Markiki says, "Hey Frank, I usually watch next morning." but I came across this Bible verse and I feel it resonates with many Franciscans and Franklies alike. 1 Samuel seventeen I'll have to check check that out later. I'll have to check that out later. I've got a lot of moving parts over here. You should have just put the verse in there, Markiki. That would have been good. <laughs> Give me a hand here. Uh, Car Guys New England says, much love, Frank. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Over to the uh, the gold pills. Witchy Poo Donasar C Blanche says sorry pal watching Tucker I'll be back Well I can't compete Can't compete with Tucker what do you want me to say Uh, Esther G Putin will have to wait I'm here for Nurse Penny and Frank God bless Now there's Esther There's a gal I can get Behind Not like that I'm just saying Not trying that wasn't a You know what I mean I'm with you, Esther. That's what I meant. See if Lauren throws a pie at my face when I walk out of here. We'll see if she (laughs) she throws a a banana cream pie in my face. Uh, Let's see here. Q shook me all night long, said, God bless you and your family. And of course, Fox family. Foxhole family or Fox family. What does that mean? What does Fox family mean? Chai Possum, thank you. Just Jesse, thank you so much. J Empress Bitch to you. Matt 177. I hope Matt liked it. He's the uh, the king of Foxhole and Pilled. Chai Possum, thank you. Zosu. Zoso dude says, how can any can one properly express what a freaking amazing show and guest you had? Edge of my seat. Yes, it was. Edge of me, and it got you emotional some places too, because you're putting yourself in her shoes. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me, but maybe you guys and gals um, felt the same way, or maybe there's some of you out there who are far more skeptical than others. But it just felt like that could uh, be—I could almost feel that especially the confusion and the anxiety being in that darkness and moving around and the whole idea of you built this place up. Now was that darkness after the fact that place you built up because of your severing yourself from, from, from God, from whatever that source of energy is, is it, uh, is, is that it? I mean, anybody who considers the spiritual side of, and spiritual health um, if you don't if you don't pay attention to it at all aren't you ignoring a huge part of our being especially the eternal part of our being the energy the the, the energy that that powers this thing that powers this ride the spirit you know uh, the other question I could have asked is the cord that keeps you tethered to your body if you when her grandmother said if you want to come with us you can just will that cord cut if you want to go back, you can. I have to imagine that there's some situations where uh, you don't have an opportunity to hold on to the cord if you've been shot in the head or anything like that. I have to imagine that's just she was in a a specific opportunity where the cord was still there, but you can let go. That's that's a concept. That's very interesting. Thank you, Chai Possum says. Thank you, Frank Penny. Beautiful show. C Blanche. Winston Dave says great show tonight. Frank Switch Rod. Uh, Putin interview, fantastic, prayer-worthy, in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Sean Joe. The Sentinel said Penny is such a beautiful soul, and Molly Artie and I enjoyed her story. We will also re-watch tonight soon. Well, I'm, I hope that you all have a great time rewatching, watching and uh, we'll have we'll be able to spend some more time with each other as soon as this show wraps up in a couple of moments here, because I think that's all that has come through. And I just want to thank you guys and gals for this. We have plenty to do tonight still because we have a whole interview and it's a lot of history. You're going to see the difference, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to see the difference between <laughs> Vladimir Putin and literally everybody that represents the United States uh, in, in a public way. Okay. You could say that everything that's that comes out of Putin's mouth is a lie, forked tongue, whatever. Well, you know what? He has to be very intelligent to understand thousands of years of history and be able to put it together and tell the story concisely and to be able to do what, 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 what try to think, even if everything that is coming out of his mouth is a manipulation, try to imagine any American statesman or woman attempt what you're going to see just in the next 20 minutes. Okay. And uh, we'll see how much we can do. A little bit of a recap on that tomorrow. Maybe I can move some things around. And uh, and I uh, I appreciate you all very much. Thank you so much. That's it for tonight. And um, and thank you again to Nurse Penny. We will talk to you guys soon. Be well.
0: I'll catch you on the flip side.
2: quite frankly is film before a live studio audience and now our super chatter is starting with car guys new england stowstube yes i am laura jay britz Markiki, and a wonderful array of people tossing those gold pills at me and thank you guys and gals there's so much more to do tonight do not leave uh if you want to uh do a little bit of a group group viewing of what has got so many people millions of probably tens of millions of people on the internet watching it tonight and uh, and those who are selling phony bloody wars to the rest of us very very up in a tizzy see you soon